Was More Than Meets the Eye Part 2 as good as Part 1? We'll get into that this time on Energon Entries. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode two of Energon Entries. As always, this is your host, Matt Freitz. I hope that this finds you well, and I hope that you enjoyed episode one, which got into More Than Meets the Eye, part one, which was the very first Generation One Transformers cartoon. I went back to that because that's where I started, and so it seemed like a natural starting point for this podcast. And so as we get into episode two, I was thinking to myself, I wonder how much more they can cram into this knowing that they left us with a cliffhanger last time. And that cliffhanger had to do with a burning oil rig and humans that needed to be saved. Some things that I forgot about last episode that I wanted to get into this time is one of the best nostalgia hits that I completely forgot about were the iconic sounds of the Transformers transforming, which obviously was then used in multiple places after that. And of course, the scene switching with that animation of the Autobot and Decepticon logo switching places. I mean, that's a picture that you can hear. I sometimes will use that gif at work. And I always say, when they say that you can't find a picture that you can hear, this is one that I can hear. So I just remember that very, very fondly. And I remember too, with the beginning of this episode is how they always did a recap of what happened the last episode whenever there was a two-parter or a three-parter. And in this case, they obviously went back and told us what happened. I don't remember exactly how long there was between episodes back then. I would assume that there was a week because that was a pretty natural cadence for shows like that. And so maybe for the people that were watching, they gave you a little bit of a reminder of what happened. But I also think to myself when I hear this is I wonder what the average age of the viewer was back then. Were they kids that actually cared about what happened? Did they remember what happened? And maybe it meant something to them. I'm not really sure. But in today's world where you're binge watching these or can binge watch these one after another after another, that type of preview or that type of recap isn't really necessary. So we get into this episode and immediately I notice that they're introducing us to new Autobots that I don't remember seeing in episode one. Some of the ones that came to mind were Huffer, Braun, Mirage, and Gears. And those are obviously ones that existed in the toy line, and so now they exist in the cartoon. So I guess when they made the first one, they tried to keep it simple with the story driving it and not the characters. And now that they have got the story out, they obviously need to expand a little bit in terms of the Autobots. And you also find out, as they try to escape this oil rig with the fires and everything, that each of the Autobots seems to have a secondary power that comes in very, very handy whenever they need them. I think about Trailbreakers things. I think about Ironhide being able to put the fire out in certain instances. And so there's a lot of different things that I noticed. I think Jazz had the hook. And I've noticed that in these two episodes that they seem to be able to find these weapons whenever they need them. So it's very, very convenient. And I think that's just part of what makes it a cartoon. You're not looking for continuity all across the board, but also continuity really wasn't a huge thing back in the 80s because, again, the limitations of the animation and everything, I'm sure, made it very difficult to go back and make corrections. One of the other things after they finally escaped the ore rig that I noticed is obviously the Autobots and the humans, which is Spike and Sparkplug, are now starting to develop a relationship with each other because these two humans have been saved by the Autobots and obviously owe them a lot of gratitude. 
and they find them to be very fascinating. The interesting thing about this when I think of it is Spike and Sparkplug are people that work on an oil rig, and I know that that is a hard line of work. I also know that many of the people that work on those generally tend to be, and forgive me for using this term, but blue collar. And so you think about them being all sciencey and being all into the technology. It's an interesting thing, but I think what it comes down to is that they're two people that are interested in how things work, how mechanical things work. And so when the Autobots show up, obviously they see these big mechanical beings, these robots, aliens from outer space that transform into vehicles that they highly recognize. I think that it piques their interest. And so in that, though, Spike and Hound seem like they're going to start a little bit of a friendship because Hound obviously takes them on this ride and Spike is asking him about Cybertron, do you miss it and things. It seemed to me that they were trying to develop this kind of relationship between Spike and one of the Autobots. And we'll find out later on that it seemed like it might have been a little short-lived. At the time of watching this video, or this episode anyway, it seemed like that that's where they were going. Interestingly enough, Soundwave does his thing where he's spying on everything. And this is another instance where I've noticed that Teletran 1 can't seem to figure out who's an Autobot and a Decepticon. Spike sees Soundwave who has transformed into his tape deck and he takes him into Autobot headquarters, which in my mind, Spike should have been like, why is that here? That seems really, really odd. But as soon as he brought him in there, I'm surprised Teletran 1 wasn't able to decipher this. It wasn't after, I think it was Ravage who was able to get all of the information that he needed that finally they sounded the alarm or Spike did. And now all of a sudden there's a huge brouhaha. But somehow Teletran 1 couldn't figure that out. So I thought that that was very, very interesting. One of the things that I really like about the show, as you see, as they start to introduce more human elements into it, is the 80s aesthetic that comes around, the way that the cars look, the way that the Autobots look, the way that the technology is. It's an 80s aesthetic, and I'm always going to have nostalgia for that. So that's one way in which the show does sort of hold up, is I just recognize it because it's a time that just was different than any other time period. And so I love that about it. The thing is, though, most of the Autobot vehicle modes were outdated in terms of today's technology. But I think if kids were watching it today and their dads were into cars, these would be considered vintage models now. Interesting, though, is a lot of the Autobot vehicles were very high-end. You had Porsches and you had Ferraris and other things. These are cars that most regular people didn't drive. So maybe this was, I guess smart on Teletran 1's part for making cars or making them turn into cars that weren't all over the place. They could hide more in plain sight. I don't know, but that's just something I found very, very interesting. But if you look back on all those models, they're very vintage. Even Braun, I think, was a Land Rover. That's very vintage. All the trucks and things. The Jeep that Hound turns into, very militaristic style back from, I think, like World War II. I thought that all the nostalgia hits actually worked. And so I think even though they are dated and when a kid today would watch it, they'd be like, I don't see cars that look like that today. That looks very, very old. It's considered vintage now. So I think it actually does work. Again, continuing with the funny animation quirks, you see the same characters showing up twice on the screen. Like when they show all the Autobots together, you'll see like two Mirages together or two Sunstreakers together or something. And then at certain random times too, you'll see an Autobot with the Decepticons. Like at some point they show Megatron in the ship and all of a sudden I think it's like Sunstreaker is next to him or something like that. Sideswipe is next to him. It's like, wait a minute, how could that miss the QC? How did somebody not be able to find that? Again, I don't know exactly what happened and how all of these animation boards go by, 
Just something that actually made me feel, it was funny, I thought, anyway. So during this episode, again, they're doing the whole thing with the Decepticons are trying to find energy. They're finding the ruby crystals, things like that. And in it, Starscream becomes impulsive yet again and is not capable of the leadership. And this is something that's going to be happening a lot. And I asked the question of, I'm not really understanding why Megatron keeps Starscream around. Because while he does have some value, I think the Null Ray seems to be the value that he brings to the table. It seems like he might be more trouble than not. So I think that's going to come to bite Megatron in the butt a little bit later. But another thing that I noticed is that as Optimus Prime gets a little bit more screen time, you start to see him a little bit more as a leader. And I see him having like a John Luke Picard side to him. Now, the Transformers comes out after Star Wars. And so Star Wars has a very big influence, at least in the way that they got to the planet with episode one. But now I'm seeing some John Luke Picard feelings here because I think that he has a very, very compassionate side. Now, John Luke Picard was a little bit different in the early seasons of The Next Generation, but as he got more and more comfortable with the character, you started to see a little bit more of that soft side to John Luke Picard. And while Optimus Prime is a warrior and he's going to do whatever he can do to make sure that the Decepticons don't get what they have, he has a lot of compassion for his fellow Autobots, a lot of compassion for his fellow humans. And I think that that really stood out in this episode because the way that he tried to protect the Autobots, the way that he tried to protect the humans, wanted to make sure that he got back to the headquarters so he could get repairs on his men. I think that shows a true leader, whereas Megatron is very much, he only retreats whenever it is that things go sour. And so at the end of this episode, another recap happens because they need to recap what's going to happen in the next episode. Optimus Prime falls down. We don't know if Roller's okay, all this other drama. But the interesting part is I think it's funny because the recap almost tells you exactly what's going to happen. The whole point of a cliffhanger is so that you can not know what's going to happen. So Optimus Prime falls down, this big explosion, and then you know that he gets better because the recap kind of tells you that he gets better. And they're like, find out what happens in the next episode of More Than Meets the Eye Part 3. And it's like, well, I kind of know now. Overall, though, I thought the episode was fun. I thought they added a few more of the characters in there. You got to see a little bit more of the dynamic, especially with the Decepticons. And I thought that it was very, very fun. Have you seen it? What did you think of the episode? Am I getting a little too analytical on us? Or are some of these little animation and voice quirks funny? I happen to find them funny. I hope that you do too. Overall, though, it's been a fun nostalgia ride. Next episode, we will conclude this with part three, and I'll give sort of my thoughts on the episode as a whole and look at it kind of as a pilot. Until then, though, if you want to get in touch with me to talk Transformers, MaddieIceMedia at gmail.com is the email to do that. Hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And I thank you for tuning in to episode two of Energon Entries. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on Energon entries are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Energon entries is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.